about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friend Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changed times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. 
Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dreams mean. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is, God, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar that what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the reveler, the, the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of these kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Um, Hi, I'm Alison, and the second reading tonight is from Romans 11, verses 33 to 36, and... You'll find that on page 920 of the blue uh, Bibles in your pews, and the large print is 1,615. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Good evening, my name is Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. Great to be with you if you're visiting. And even if you're not visiting, it's great to be here. Um, This is a picture of the staff team during the week, ministry team during the week. We had a great time away. Um, at Cass's uh, parents' place at McMaster's. Uh, it was just really a great joy to be able to go away with our team and to, uh, you can see Matt there, he kind of looks like, he kind of looks like the naughty boy down the back, but you know. <laughs> um, it was just a fabulous time as we thought and started praying about uh, the transition that will take place, but also started planning for Christmas and uh, the early parts of next year as well. And I just wanted to say thank you. Um, we can't do things like that without your support and your encouragement, uh, financial support, prayerful support. Uh, those things are important to us. And so I just wanted to say thanks uh, for giving us an opportunity as a team to get, get away like that and uh, to enjoy God's goodness at the beach as well. So let me pray as we come to this passage. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of coming to your word this evening. And we pray that as we do, you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would transform us. Uh, by your word and through your spirit, that we might be people uh, who are following you more closely in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the kind of context we live in means that we're not really required uh, to stand in opposition to things where the result might be that we lose our lives. Uh, That's what's happening in our passage tonight. Daniel is standing in opposition or standing in a situation where it's very clear he could lose his life. Uh, In our current society, things may be difficult, but even in the last couple of weeks, uh, you could go on a climate strike or you could go um, on a protest about um, the life of unborn children and you wouldn't be put in jail. Now, I'm not suggesting that things aren't a little bit awkward and things are not a little bit difficult. 
and that, we, that Christians and other groups are not feeling the pressure of the kind of society we live in. Uh, it was really fascinating to hear Stephen Fry comment on the pressure he's feeling. Now, Stephen Fry is an older guy who, who really is no friend of Christians, but this is what he said about our cu- current uh, society. He says, this was at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas in Sydney, classical liberalism and its post-war ideology of social democracy are dead. It's over. It's had its day. We've woken up and found ourselves uprooted and displaced. A grand canyon has opened up in our world and a crack grows wider every day. As it widens, the armies on each side shriek more and more incoherently at their perceived enemies across the divide. Their gestures and insults grow even huger, cruder and louder. So here we are, blind as moles engaged in ugly, unappealing struggles of identity politics, nationhood and other fatuous, outmoded notions. It's not dangerous ideas, it's dangerous realities that should concern us. Now, he's being fairly uh, provocative in his language and in his thoughts there, but clearly he's deeply concerned about shifts that are taking place in our world and is himself feeling under the pressure of what's taking place. And of course, I guess in that context, it shouldn't surprise us that Christians uh, will often feel the struggle as well, Uh, that Christians would lose their jobs or careers, that Christians might experience uh, vitriol from friends and from neighbours and from work colleagues. But the threat is not, you will lose your life. It may be painful and difficult, but the threat is not that you will lose your life. As we've been hearing tonight uh, in Stas' prayer, in North Korea, that is the current situation. If you follow Jesus, you may lose your life. And yet the Bible speaks into all kinds of situations, indeed this situation he speaks into. Um, And in the book of Daniel, we see a person who stands up and stands in the context of a place where he could lose his life. And it gives us some resources to think about What does a Christian do in such occasions where global events or national events overwhelm them and the horizon looks terrible and the horizon looks as though it might end your life? And tonight I think as we look at Daniel chapter 2, we'll start to see and start to understand the kind of resources that we have at our disposal if we are Christians to live in a world that may be opposed to what we are, what we believe. Now, as we come to the book of Daniel, we're plunged into one of those moments in, the, in history where those who have been following Yahweh are under great threat. Uh, six centuries before Jesus, um, the Babylonian nation has risen and destroyed the Jews. The promises to Abraham appear like fake news. They seem dashed. Jerusalem, the city of Yahweh, the city of God, the temple are completely destroyed Its people are in ruin. The king, Yahweh, seems to have been replaced. Replaced with the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon had won and the best and brightest of the nation had been taken into exile and ethnic cleansing had begun. Now, not all has been uh, terrible. Uh, In some ways, Daniel and his friends have done fairly well. They've ended up uh, in... Uh, in the courts of the king, 
being welcomed and being trained and being given good lodging. But nonetheless, as we saw last week, Daniel has had to work out what does it mean to live wisely in this context. Um, This week, however, what happens is the maniacal nature of Nebuchadnezzar becomes evident. And in fact, it will get worse as the chapters unfold, but his reign starts to impact these believers in real and challenging ways. So how will Daniel live with wisdom in this context? And what has Daniel understood that helps him live with wisdom in this context? Well, as you've just heard read, um, let's think about what Daniel has to deal with. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, even though he's an all-powerful man in charge of uh, a large nation that has been conquering other nations, can't sleep very well because he's been having dreams and his mind has been troubled. And so he's in, <coughs> um, brought together the elite, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the astrologers to talk to him about what he's been dreaming. Now you'll notice that he doesn't tell them what his dream was. Uh, some people suggest that's because he didn't know what his dream was. I think it's more likely that he actually knew what his dream was about. Um, it's just that he knew if, if he told these guys what it was, they would come up and make up some sort of st- sort of story and not really tell him what the, the meaning of the dream was. And so he keeps the dream private and to himself. I have firmly decided, if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. The king knows what is at stake and the king makes it very clear that he wants people to tell him not only what his dream was but also to interpret it as well. Now, as the, uh, the, those who, the magicians and others gather together, uh, they are completely lost. And to use that kind of uh, phrase that we might use in Australia, they want to come back to the king and say, tell him he's dreaming. Uh, it, it, we have no idea what's taking place here. And in fact, they come back and they kind of abdicate their responsibility and they kind of say, we, 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 we actually have no way of speaking to you about this. The task is too difficult. No one can reveal this except the gods and in fact, the gods haven't revealed it to us. Um, and it's kind of a nice little note there. Gods have failed at this particular point. There's no one on earth who can actually help you out here. And so a decree is issued. Um, and the wise men um, of the nation are under threat of death, including Daniel and his friends. What will Daniel do? A furious king who's in charge of so many people, who's happy to get rid of his elite if they can't support him. Typical of most maniacal kind of leaders, isn't it? Hitler, Pol Pot, uh, people in North Korea, just get rid of those who don't support you and don't keep you in power. Uh, He's there, he's ready to act. Well, in verse 14, we hear what takes place. And the first thing we see in terms of uh, Daniel and his acting with wisdom is as he acts with wisdom, he acts with courage. He goes and speaks to the commander of the king's guard and he asks, what's going on? But notice what he does. He speaks in verse 14 with wisdom and with tact. Mike noticed last week, and we can notice this week, that Daniel hasn't gone into every single situation uh, to speak up. He's chosen his moments. 
And in fact, he's gone with tact. He hasn't been belligerent about what he's doing. He's been thoughtful. He's been thinking about where is the best place to speak up. Clearly, the situation has meant that he's going to speak up, but he's been tactful. He hasn't been an idiot as he's gone to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar explains to him that he needs his, his dream told to him and the interpretation to come. I want to suggest to you that wisdom in circumstances like these or other cir- circumstances will always look like courage. Uh, it's a matter of stepping up, knowing that there are risks involved, knowing that you could fail, knowing that actually what you do may actually affect other people as well. Um, This week I had the great pleasure of meeting with a number of ministers, um, what's called a missionary leader, whatever that means, Um, and uh, basically we were meeting with the the bishop and he'd just come from a meeting with uh, the uh, uh, Christian Porter who's the um, head of, uh, he's Attorney General, that's the one I'm looking for. Um, I wrote his name but not his position. Um, Attorney General, and uh, he'd been speaking to him about the Religious Discrimination Act. Um, Clearly he had been speaking with courage and raising issues with other members of uh, Christian organisations and other religious organisations about their concerns about what is taking place at the moment. And we do need leaders with courage. We do need people with courage who are able to speak uh, in difficult circumstances. And when we are in difficult circumstances, it will take courage, and yet it will also take tact. What's also interesting about what Daniel does here is as he speaks with courage, he also prays. Do you see what happens in verse 17? When Daniel hears this news, it would have been surprising if he hadn't already been praying, but here we have described what happens next. Uh, Daniel returns to his house and explains the matter to his friends, And he urges them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And what I find so fascinating about this is Daniel has acted with courage. He doesn't actually know the answer before he goes into the situation. And so he and his friends throw themselves on the mercy of God, asking that God might reveal what this dream is and what the interpretation means. There is a lot at stake, certainly their lives, but actually the lives of many people are at stake at this point. And so Daniel throws himself at the mercy of God, completely dependent on God in prayer with his friends. There's no suggestion here at all that Daniel's intelligence wins the day. No suggestion at all that somehow he could figure it out and work out what to do. No, he comes back with his friends and he prays. And I think that's a description of true wisdom, acknowledging where we are in light of what God is doing and who God is. And so at times we will take time to spend with others in prayer because we don't know the answers sometimes. We don't know what to do. And it's important that we are praying with one another and encouraging one another. Uh, Just this morning, I heard someone asking others to pray for her, uh, for her work situation, where someone at work has been particularly difficult and nasty towards her because she's a Christian, and she said, I've got need wisdom as to what to do. 
Can you pray with me because I need wisdom in order to know what to say uh, at this particular point? Well, remarkably, God answers Daniel's prayer. Uh, He comes to understand what the vision is. He comes to understand uh, the interpretation of the vision. And immediately, we're not told exactly what it is uh, straight away, but immediately, Daniel breaks into a a song of praise. Now, we're going to come back to this song in a moment, but look at the verse 23 and the ending of this praise as he acknowledges God and what he has done in terms of being the true source of wisdom. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known the dream of the king. God has mercy on Daniel and his friends. God reveals the mysteries behind the dream. And Daniel praises God for what he's done. This is wisdom. Acknowledging that they need God, but praising God and giving him due honour for what he has done. Well, it's all very well for Daniel to understand, uh, because of God's revelation, what this mystery is, what this dream is, and all very well for God to show them mercy. Daniel could have just left it there. Oh, thanks God, you've showed me what it is, that's marvellous. But imagine then what Daniel has to do. With wisdom and tact, he goes back to the king. And wisdom in this circumstance looks like proclaiming God as king. He goes back in verse 27. No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come, your dream and your visions that pass through your mind as were you lying in bed were these. Now, he goes on to describe this huge uh, statue made of different uh, metals and clay. And uh, basically, he describes to the king not only what his dream was about, but that his kingdom will be completely destroyed. Uh, There will be this... Um, stone, this rock that is cut out out, um, and strikes the statue and eventually that rock will form itself into a huge mountain which fills the whole earth. And in verse 44, 44, in that time those kings of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Can you imagine delivering that news to King Nebuchadnezzar? He's threatened to kill everybody if they tell him his dream and interpret it. The dream comes back as your nation, your kingdom will absolutely fail and it will just become dust. You think you're great as a king, but actually God has other plans. His kingdom will rule forever and ever. You think your kingdom is great, it's nothing. It will be destroyed. What courage Daniel has to not only pray and praise God and to inquire in the beginning, but actually to go back to the king 
and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, the king does recognise what is kind of going on. Uh, Really, he doesn't change his heart. He acknowledges because he sees that Daniel has seen um, what his dream is and given him an interpretation. Of course, he he gives uh, Daniel uh, increasing power. But the reality is, as the book unfolds, the king hasn't really understood that God is the king of all the universe and that his kingdom will reign forever. That really hasn't sunk down into his heart. And so he continues to reign in a maniacal fashion. But Daniel, in wisdom, has spoken the truth. Even in the most difficult of personal situations, he's spoken the truth. Now I wonder, as we've unpacked that a little bit, whether this also reminds you of someone else who does a very similar thing. In many ways, this foreshadows what Jesus does, doesn't it? Daniel points us to Jesus because in Jesus we too see someone who has with courage spoken against the authorities of the day, challenged the authorities of the day. He too calls his friends to pray, although often they leave him behind, but he frequently is found praying with others. He too praises God for his revelation of mercy and mystery. Remember that passage in Matthew? At the time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It's a praising of his Father for a revelation of the mercy and the mysteries. Later on, Paul will go to write about this revelation and explain to us that actually Jesus is our wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read, God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because you are in Christ who has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. God in his great mercy sends Jesus into this world who is our wisdom who shows us mercy, and in the end, he is like that rock, isn't he? Hewn out of the mountain, not out of human hands, and his kingdom comes and destroys all other kingdoms. Something that was small, lowly, and despised grows into a kingdom that goes throughout whole of time. Jesus proclaims his everlasting kingship. Jesus says that, you might remember, in with Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not my world. Sorry, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is from another place. And Pilate says, well, are you a king then? Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth Everyone on the side of truth, listen to me. And so Jesus there before Pilate is proclaiming against the powers. He's proclaiming and saying, I am the wise king. I am the king whose kingdom will never end. And he speaks in such a way that actually then leads to his death. 
For the reality is not every situation works out like Daniel's. Daniel's promoted. But sometimes this proclamation doesn't end that way. Sometimes this proclamation actually ends in death or in great difficulty. I've been sharing with you that I'm planning next year to spend some more time with uh, the organisation called City to City. They've been doing some work all around the world in lots of different places. One of the places that they've been working with uh, is a a group of people in um, China. And uh, as many of you may know, there are people in China who are in prison um, as a result of their belief. Pastors who've been put away because um, of their following Jesus. One pastor wrote this. He wrote it for his congregation, actually, Should he go into jail? Imagine writing that. (laughs) I want my congregation to hear about this. Uh, Should I go to jail? Because I'm actually probably going to jail because I'm speaking of the kingdom of God. And this is what he wrote. I'm not even interested in the question of when communist regime policies persecuting the church will change. Regardless of which regime I live under now or in the future, as long as the secular government continues to persecute the church, violating human consciences that belong to God alone, I will continue in faithful disobedience. For the entire commission God has given me is to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity, uh, my actions and words, that through the hope of humanity and society is only found in the redemption of Christ, in the supernatural, gracious sovereignty of God. Precisely because none of my words and actions are directed towards seeking and hoping for societal and political transformation, I have no fear of any social or political power. For the Bible teaches that God established governmental authorities. Even though I'm often weak, I firmly believe this is the promise of the gospel. It is what I've devoted all my energy to. It is the good news that I'm spreading through Chinese society. Imagine hearing that as a congregation when you know your pastor is in jail and you have no idea when he will be released. Extraordinary, isn't it, that people can stand in the line of Daniel but actually specifically in the line of Jesus and be clear about what they're doing. Have courage who pray who've come to know and understand the revelation of the mercy and mysteries of Jesus and who are prepared to proclaim him even in the most difficult circumstances. Well, how do people come to this point? Uh, We started out by noticing that uh, we don't live in the same world as Daniel. Uh, The stakes for Christian people in this society are not nearly as high as that. And the truth is probably well, certainly me, would probably capitulate before, Dave, before Daniel did. I can't imagine being able to do what Daniel did. I feel like I'd be a lot weaker than that. And so how is it possible to live with wisdom? How is there any chance that I might be like Daniel and, more importantly, like Jesus? What is it that I need to understand? What is it that I need to have my heart grasp at this point? Well, one of the other clear things that Daniel 2 is uh, describing to us is who God is. It's describing us 
to us the sovereignty of God. Daniel 2 shows us behind the scenes. Nebuchadnezzar's power is extremely impressive. He's conquered many nations and he's done many things. He has absolute power. He's prepared to wipe out his intelligentsia. But Daniel 2 reminds us, behind the curtains, the real meaning of what has happened is not that despot leaders will rule, but that God, in his mysterious mercy, is ruling. Remember those words of the psalm that we skipped over? This is what they said. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and the light dwells with him. The reason Daniel can stand with such courage in the context of prayer and speak such truths to the king's life is because he understands what God is doing. He's seen behind the curtain. He sees the sovereignty of God. He sees who's really in charge, who really has the power. He sees who really gives wisdom and knowledge and discerning. He sees who really brings light into the darkness. And because he trusts that God, he speaks. Because in the end, he knows the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, or has set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so in Revelation chapter 11, where people are under persecution, we hear these words. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, we give you thanks to you, Lord Almighty, the one who was and and who was Sorry, the one who is and was, because you have taken great power and begun to reign. It's a beautiful picture of God's power and strength and might. His reigning kingdom. And I want to suggest to you, as, as we grasp this and have a deeper understanding of what God is doing in this world, as we too are revealed the mysteries that are found in Jesus Christ, we too can understand what it means to stand with courage, prayerfully with others, praising our God and Father for all that he's done, but also proclaiming the kingship of Yahweh, even when things are difficult. And so can I invite you this evening to deepen your knowledge of the sovereignty of God and what he's done in Jesus Christ as his kingdom shall reign throughout the whole world. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.